Well, we first learned about Maya and Ziv's trip from hell, you could say. She was flying to Tel Aviv for a conference. It was actually an accessibility conference. But when she got there and got her electric wheelchair, which she had to check in, uh, you check it kind of as luggage, and she had bubble-wrapped it and protected it as best she could. When she got it back on the other end of the flight, it was so broken, she couldn't even use it. And this is something that she depends on to get around. Here's just a little bit about or from our conversation with Mayan. I can take my personalized mobility device on any other mode of transportation. And recently in the U.S., they did pass a bill of rights that looks specifically at addressing this major barrier that prevents people with disabilities from flying uh, with their own wheelchairs or other devices. Uh, and, And one of the reasons Um, that, you know, this is so devastating is because we know that there are other solutions, but there's just so much negligence here. Um, Such a lack of um, genuine care is what it feels like to actually address this systemic issue across the entire transportation uh, industry when it comes to airline travel for people with disabilities. So joining us now to talk more about this is Carla Qualtro, the Minister of Employment, Workforce Development, as well as Disability Inclusion, also an MP for Delta. Minister Qualtro, thank you so much for being with us. Well, thanks for having me. We've been getting a lot of feedback about this story. And since we spoke with Mayan Ziv last week, she's the Canadian woman. She arrived in Tel Aviv for an accessibility conference, only to find that her electric wheelchair, which she depends on for mobility, had been very damaged during the flight. She talked to us about how upset she was, not only that this happened, but also with the response she was getting from the airport and with this, what she really talked about, a lack of Uh, understanding just how important that device was for her and is for people that use electric wheelchairs. What was your response when you first saw this story? Well, first of all, unfortunately, Jill, as much as I'd like to think this is um, a single incident, we've, you know, we know that these incidents happen on more, more regularly than anybody would consider appropriate. The lack of care, um, the lack of dignity being afforded to persons with disabilities, and quite frankly, the lack of, accountability and kind of corrective action on on the part of airlines. Um, As someone with a disability who travels extensively, I know the extent to which passengers with disabilities try to avoid this stuff. We get to the airports early, we file our papers, we tell people about our batteries on our wheelchairs, we, we give them the dimensions of our devices because it's so important that when we get off the plane, it's waiting there and we can use it. Because as you said, this isn't just a piece of luggage. This isn't just, I've lost my toiletries. This is, I've lost my independence, my dignity, my legs, kind of. You know, if if you give somebody your legs when you get on the plane and you say, take good care of them, I'm going to need them when I get off. And then they're not there. Like, my was stuck. People are stuck and vulnerable and, and traumatized. What do you think could be changed then to improve this in that? I I think, I mean, we've all had things damaged, I think, obviously not to this extent. And it's not a big deal. If my luggage is damaged, if something's damaged, you you move on, you can deal with it. Like you said, though, this is like uh, your legs. This is this is what. Mayan needs. This is what so many people need to get around. Uh, we understand there's batteries, there's issues of space and weight that that perhaps these devices, they can't be in the cabin. Uh, but should there be better protocols or better rules as far as exactly where they are stored and how they are stored during flights? 
Yeah, it's absolutely a need to make sure we've got the proper rules and guidance and, and training in place. But to be honest, a lot of, of, of airlines and even the, the, the Canadian Transportation Agency have these, these rules and regulations and guides in place. But that's not translating into an inclusive experience for people. So there's a disconnect between what's on paper and what people are experiencing. So, um, you know, maybe it's a matter of needing to train air, air, airline and airport staff um, to treat people with dignity. And I'm not blaming any one person on this. This is a systemic, long-standing issue. It's why transportation made its way into the Accessible Canada Act as a priority. And um, we've been trying kind of as a disability community to differentiate kind of luggage from essential goods. So, you know, maybe there is a designated place in airline storage for these are fragile, you know, expensive pieces of equipment that that we really need to figure out how to transfer safely. And when this does happen, we need to make it a seamless experience on the other side, right? Sometimes you're told, you know, we don't have a wheelchair available for you and people just are made to sit while they're wondering where, you know, what am I going to do? How am I going to get to my work? How am I going to it's just, it's so frustrating. And I, and I share that frustration. Uh, Mayan also talked about the fact that the, there are other airlines, she said, that have made improvements that are better. Uh, but she also talked about the fact that when it was became clear to her that her wheelchair was very damaged, and she said she was able to kind of hobble around and use it, but, but for very short distances and, and certainly not in, in the way that she needs that wheelchair. Uh, then she said she was offered a $300 e-coupon from Air Canada and that she was upset as well by, she felt like it was being dismissed, like they, they weren't acknowledging exactly how important this is. And you've kind of touched on that, but does there also need to be uh, something in place that this is a, a $30,000 piece of vital equipment? Yeah, absolutely. And that's the exact kind of conversation I'm going to be having. So I'll be meeting with the airlines. I'm meeting with the Canada Transportation Agency to have those. It's like a sensitivity and awareness piece that we need to also build into um, our processes to have people really, you know, at, at a deep level understand what's at stake here, what this is, this is about. This is also about confidence. Like I need to be, if I have a right to travel and I, and I need to get somewhere to see my family, to do my job, like, I need to have the confidence that that this is going to work out. Like, everybody experiences anxiety, you know, especially right now as we head into airports or airplanes. But imagine, like, 10 times in that if you don't know you're going to be able to get off, you know, or if somebody drops you. You know, there's been recent instances where airline um, equipment that helps move passengers haven't been available. And so people have carried passengers and then they drop people. Could you imagine being dropped in the middle of... Uh, on an airplane and not being able to just stand up and dust yourself off. You're just sitting there. Like it's, yeah. it's a, it, maybe you're injured. Maybe you're just incredibly horrifically embarrassed, but the dignity is just not present. Uh, no, absolutely. Uh, do you know if we keep the statistics or we know the numbers? Uh, when we talked to Mayan about this, we were able to get numbers from the U.S. Department of Transportation as far as the number of wheelchairs and electric scooters that had been damaged or mishandled by American airlines. The number I thought seemed quite high. It was it was around 1,145 just in the month of June. Uh, but we don't have those numbers wow. in Canada. Sh- should we be keeping those numbers in Canada to, to see if this it, is in fact a problem? It's an excellent idea. Yeah, what, what, we, what we compile is complaints to the CTA by passengers who have had these kinds of experiences. So how many complaints against a particular airline? Um, but, you know, that kind of data would be really helpful. And it's an excellent, I'm going to add that to my list of things I'm going to ask for because 
it's the exact kind of information we need um, to paint the bigger picture of what people are experiencing and not just, um, you know, on the passenger on the kind of customer service side, it's also passengers who are blind and visually impaired who are often forgotten. Don't worry, ma'am, we're going to come back and we'll guide you off the plane. And then everybody gets off the plane and people go about their business. And it's the, it's the individual who's come on to clean the plane that realizes that that person is still sitting there, right? Like it's, mm-hmm. it's not just, it's, I mean, this is the, the mobility aid piece is very, uh, immediate. It's an immediate consequence of poor treatment, but there are other kind of behaviors that, that leave many, many people with disabilities vulnerable to being poorly treated. Uh, absolutely. Uh, and this is kind of related to that, not specifically to airlines and equipment, but uh, I'm also curious about the Canada Disability Benefit, the bill that was introduced in June. Uh, will that get passed, do you think, or will there be more discussion on that coming up in the fall sitting? Well, it's definitely a priority for our government, and thank you for asking about it, because it's such an important piece of law, um, such an important um, hole that currently exists in our social safety net for kind of working-age persons with disabilities. But, yes, it's absolutely a priority for our government this fall. In the meantime, we're working on negotiating with provinces and territories to really understand interaction of this benefit, which will be modeled after the GIC, sorry. So about 23% of persons with this, uh, Canadians have a disability um, one in four Canadians uh, with a disability who are between the ages of 19 and 64 live in poverty. And this is what this benefit is meant to address, is to lift potentially hundreds of thousands of people out of poverty. And yes, it's, it's an absolute priority for our government. Uh, because I would imagine, too, that we're, today we're talking about affordability. Uh, we've seen the announcement that came from the Prime Minister, uh, but certainly uh, affordability is one thing and and a whole other thing if you are in that group, as you just mentioned, of people with disabilities who are living in poverty. Yeah, there's no wiggle room. If, if I If I have to pay more for my gallon of milk, I maybe not, I can't buy the milk. Like there's no, there's just no wiggle room when you're living on a fixed income, you know, dependent on, uh, for the most part, provincial government support. Um, You're unemployed because people have discriminated against you when you've sought employment. There's just countless barriers that people are facing to living um, in dignity. And that's this for me, the CDB is is part of the solution. um, And it's an excellent first start. All right, uh, Minister, we'll leave it there for today. But thank you so much. I know uh, you're busy at the retreat, so thank you so much for making the time today. My pleasure, Dylan. Thank you for this is a super important issue, and I really appreciate the the thought that you've put into addressing it.